Welcome to this week's Rashi Shir, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. So, thank you for joining us. Uh, we have an eclectic group here from uh, Melbourne and from Israel, and all welcome. And we find ourselves in this shear, which goes through each comment of Rashi and tries to explain and analyze it. We find ourselves in Perak Yud Gimel, Pasuk Yud Aleph. So the story so far is that after Abraham and Sarah and Lot went to Mitzrayim and they came back from Mitzrayim, at that point, um, there was friction between the shepherds of Abraham and Lot. And I made the point last week over and over again that Rashi makes the point over and over again that Lot is uh, not a good fellow. And the Rashi, Rashi. made the argument with the shepherds um, about their Lot's shepherds wanted to graze his cattle in fields that didn't belong to them. And we've uh, had the point in Pasuk Yud which said, when Avram says, you go to the left, I'll go to the right. Uh, Pasuk Yud said, Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw the whole plain of the Yaradim, and it was all watered. We'll come back to that. And Rashi makes the point on that Pasuk that Chazal have an explanation of that Pasuk, that every phrase is expounded, is darshaned, in a way that says something bad about Lot. And so that is relevant for the next comment of Rashi. So Pasuk Yud Aleph says, after Lot in Pasuk Yud lifted up his eyes and he saw the plain of the Yaradim, and it was a nice place to be, and it was Sodom and Amorah before Hashem destroyed Sodom and Amorah. Anyway, Pasuk Yud Aleph says, Lot, et kol kika Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Yaradim, Lot mikedem, and Lot journeyed from the east, and each person separated from his brother. By the way, we've already said that brother means relative, and it describes the relationship between Abraham and Lot, who weren't brothers, but they were close. We talked about the very first comment of Rashi on Pasuk Yudalaf last week, where he explained what Kikara meant, so we're not going to do that again. But what I do want to see, and there's a lot to say, on the next comment of Rashi on the word Mikedem. So the Pasuk said, Lot Mikedem. Lot journeyed from the east. Says Rashi, Nasa Me'etzel Avram. He journeyed from being with Avram. And he went to the west of Avram. Nimtza Nasoe Mimizrach Lama'arav. So it turns out that he was journeying from the east to the west. So, and then Rashi is going to bring a Midrashic explanation. So this is the first explanation. It's what we would call the Pshat, the simple meaning of the words. But they're not all that simple. Because the Pasuk says Lot journeyed from the east. And Rashi says that means he journeyed from Avraham and he went to the west of Avraham. So why does Rashi not understand it in the literal sense as he journeyed from the east? Well, one answer is that if you look at the geography, he didn't journey from the east to the west. This is a problem, and it may be Rashi's problem. <clears throat> at this time, Abraham and Lot were where? They were in Bet El, because that's where they had gone to 
on their return from Egypt. We learned that in Pasuk Gimel. Now, the, we have a place today called Beit El. It may or may not be exactly where Beit El was, but we know from something that Rashi said earlier that Beit El is in the north, and we know that the Dead Sea, where Sodom and Amorah is, is in the southeast. So it's very hard to say that Lot was journeying to the west, from the east to the west. So Rashi sort of mollifies that by saying, when it says he was journeying from the east, it means from the east of Avraham. So he wasn't in the east of Eretz Israel, he was in the north of Eretz Israel, and he was journeying southeast, but he went from the east of Avraham in a westerly direction from where Avraham was. Now we would have to explain that the Kikar HaYardin, the plain of the Jordan, must have extended westwards compared to where the Dead Sea is now. And that fits, and we will see um, in Posit Yudbet, that sort of, um, it's not hard to imagine, but that's what we're talking about. But the area that Lot goes to is not Dafka, what we call the Dead Sea, but is to the west of that. So he's still going in a westerly direction, but he is not going from the east of Israel to the west of Israel. He's going from the north to the southeast, or south, if you like, if the area extends from the east to the west. So that might be one problem that Rashi is facing and why he understands Mikedem is not from the east, because that's not where Lot was, but from the east of Abraham. Next thing to point out is that Rashi is keen to stress by this comment that even though the passage ends by Yifparadu Ishme al Achiv, each person separated one from another, Rashi has it that Lot is the one who starts by leaving Abraham and not the other way around. And this fits in with Rashi's ongoing, if you like, bad press about Lot. Um, since they came back from Egypt, and that might be significant later on, since they came back from Egypt, as I said, Rashi has not had a good word to say about Lot. And that fits with Rashi's understanding that Lot is moving away from Abraham before Abraham moves away from Lot. Now, then Rashi brings Umidrash Agada. There is a Midrashic explanation. Hesia Atzmo Mikadmono Shel Olam. He moved himself from literally the first one of the world. Now, Kedem means east, but it also means first. Kodem means before, same word. So now Rashi is saying, in a Midrashic way, so it's not the Bashat, it's not the simplest meaning, but it's an alternative meaning, that it means he left from the Midkodmol Shalom Olam, the earliest one of the world, i.e. HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He left HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Amar, he said, I afshi loba avram veloba elokav. I do not want, I afshi, I do not want, not Avraham and not his God. So now Rashi is understanding Mikedem, nothing to do with the East. And maybe Rashi needs the uh, Midrashic explanation because for reasons we've already given, the simple explanation doesn't work because of the geography, because Lot is not moving from the East. Aye, so he's moving from Abraham, in which case the Pasuk should have said he journeyed from Abraham. But it doesn't say that either. Hence the need for Rashi's second explanation that Kerem doesn't mean a geographical direction, but it means Kadmon Olam, the first one of the world. Lot is leaving the first one of the world, i.e. he is leaving Hashem and Abraham. Yes, Sarah, you have used the raise hand facility. What is your question or your observation? Um, a question. What's that word, Afshi? 
uh, wish or want. Okay. It, Actually, it, I do not want. It's Aramaic. Aramaic. All right. So I'm not sure what the Sharish is, but it means I do not want. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, now, I, I, I know I've kept uh, sort of over-egging the pudding on this, but I kept saying that Rashi says Lot is not a good one, and I was leading up to this, these words. Rashi here says Lot is not just bad, he's very bad. He's leaving Hashem. Why does Rashi say that? Well, I hope the answer to that is obvious, because everything we've said up till now, and what we're even about to say, which is even worse, shows that Lot is not motivated by good things, he's motivated by bad things. It's going to become even clearer in um, Pasuk Yud Gimel, uh, which we'll talk about at the time. So everything we've had so far, Lot is not good, and he wants to leave the good way. So Rashi has this as his understanding of Vayisa Lot Mikedem. Um, I did highlight this, I think, last week, and I'm mentioning it again earlier, that the first thing Rashi said on the words of what Lot saw in the Kikah Haryaradem was, as it said in Pasuk Yud, Kikula Mashke, it was all watered. And Rashi says there, Eretz Nachalei Mayim, that's in Pasuk Yud. It's a land of, of, of rivers of water. And I did make the point when we learned this last week that that puts it on the different from the rest of Eretz Israel and more in the Mitzrayim type of terrain. In Parshat Akev, Hashem says to the Bnei Israel, but the land you're going to, Eretz Israel, is not like Mitzrayim. And it talks about the irrigation system. And although it's not 100% clear what the Pasuk means there, the point that Rashi makes there in Akev is that Mitzrayim is constantly watered by the overflowing Nile, whereas Eretz Israel relies on rain. And the consequence of being in a land which relies on rain is you daven. You feel the connection to Hashem because you know that if Hashem is not going to give you rain, then you're going to be in trouble. So that builds up a relationship. It starts basically, I suppose, based on Yira, on fear, on fear that Hashem won't give rain, but it leads to a relationship based on love. Either way, it's a connection. And if you don't have that need for rain, you don't necessarily have that connection with the Kaddish Baruch Hu. So it's significant that the first thing that, that Lot sees in um, the, the plain of the Jordan, and Rashi explains, is that it's watered. It's naturally irrigated, like Mitzrayim, as the Pasuk says, also Pasuk Yud, but it was Kagan Hashem, Ke'eretz Mitzrayim. So it's like that land of Egypt, which is not dependent on rain and therefore not uh, um, facilitating a relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu. That's the place that uh, uh, Lot wants to go to, and therefore it fits with um, Rashi saying here that he's leaving Hashem. There's another observation I want to share that I saw that takes us to Bamidbar Perak Yud Pasuk Lamad Gimel. Um, everyone's got their Bereshit with them. I don't know if anyone's got a Bamidbar as well. I have to say that um, twice in my life I was uh, Zocher. I merited to attend the Shia by Nechamba Leibovitz. Uh, not just reading her stuff, but actually hearing it from her in person. And I've been warned that when you go to a shir by Nechamu Levitz, you must take a chumash, because she will quote Pesukim left, right, and center. And I actually bought this very chumash, uh, one volume Mikro Kodola, on that occasion. So I have it here. And in Perak Yud of Bamidbar, it describes how the Bnei Israel are ready to make the journey, leave Har Sinai, and go into the desert on their way to Eretz Israel. And the Pasuk there says, Vayisu mehar Hashem. They journeyed from the mountain of Hashem, Derech Shloshet Yamim, for three days. 
And Rashi doesn't actually say this, but he alludes to it. But the Midrash famously says, on the words, Hashem, that was a bad thing. How can it be a bad thing? Because they ran away like a child running out of school. A wonderful image. Why does a child want run out of school? Because they don't want to get any more lessons. And the Bnei Israel says this Midrash, left Harsinai fearful of getting more mitzvot. Oy vey, we've got 613, that's enough. We're running away. Now, that means they ran away from Hashem and from Moshe, who was giving them all these mitzvot. And it's the same word, vayisu, that we have here in the singular of vayisa. Maybe, just maybe, there's a connection. And maybe Rashi sees that just as the Midrash says on vayisu, mihar Hashem, when the Bnei Israel left, journeyed from Har Hashem, that was running away from God and from Moshe, so similarly here, same word, Rashi perhaps sees a connection between Lot running away from Hashem and the equivalent of Moshe in his time, i.e. Abraham. And that might be why it doesn't just say, e avshi be'elokim, but e avshi lo ba'avram, lo be'elokav. Okay, that takes us to Pasuk Yud Gimel, sorry, Yud Bet, uh, Rashi on Yud Bet, not much to say here. The Pasuk says, Avram yashav be'eretz kanan, v'lot yashav ba'arei hakikar. Avraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, which is where he had chosen to go to, v'ye'ehal ad Sodom, and he pitched his tent up to Sodom. So this is a comment of Rashi, but I, I take a risk and I say this comment is quite straightforward. Um, we should all know that we can see depths and depths in every word of Rashi, but it doesn't hurt to say occasionally this one is quite straightforward. What does it mean, Sodom? He pitched his tent up to Sodom. Does that mean it was a very, very big tent? What does that mean? So Rashi says, Nata ohalim l'ra'av ulumiknehu ad Sodom. He pitched tents for his shepherds and for their cattle up to Sodom. So first of all, by the way, um, we see that the area that Lot chose was a large area. From He was living in Kika, uh, in the Kika, Areha Kika, the cities of the plain, and he had lots of tents and they stretched all the way to Sodom. So it's not just Sodom, but it's the wider region, greater Sodom, if you like, where he is living. But number two, if it's a simple question, we've got a simple answer. What does it mean he pitched his tent up to Sodom? And Rashi answers by meaning he pitched lots of tents. So the word Vayahal, it, it comes from the word root Ohel, tent. And we've translated it in the past as he pitched his tent. That's what Abraham, that's how we understood it when Abraham pitched his tent. But Rashi is now telling us it means also pitching tents in general. It's the act of pitching tents, even if that might be many tents. And now we can understand what it means. Lot was living here, but he pitched his tent there. Answer, he pitched many tents all the way to Sodom. Now, Pasuk Yud Gimel goes off at a slight tangent, and it says, the Anshei Sodom ra'im v'chata'im. The men of Sodom, or the people of Sodom, were wicked and sinners. La Hashem ma'od 
to Hashem a lot. So, and then the next Pasuk says, for Hashem Omar El Avraham, Hashem spoke to Avraham. So we have Pasuk Yud, uh, Yud, Yud Aleph, about the split between Avraham and Lot, and Yud Bet says where Avraham was and Lot was. Then Yud Gimel goes off at a tangent and tells us something about the people of Saddam. And then the story resumes in Pasuk Yud Dalet. So we need to know, first of all, why there's been this tangent to talk about the people of Saddam. And Rashi says like this, but Anshe Saddam Ra'im, the people of Saddam were wicked, but Af Alpi came, and even so, Lo Nimna Lot Milishkan Imahem. Lot did not refrain from dwelling with them. So, as I promised, Rashi has this negative view of Lot, uh, and here it is expressed again. That according to Rashi, the reason we need to be told about the um, habits of the people of Saddam is to tell us more about Lot. So it tells us more about the choice that Lot made to go and live in Kika Hayardain or up to and including Saddam, um, even though the people of Saddam were very bad. And uh, okay. Um, then it says, then Rashi says, Verabotenu, our rabbis, Lamdumikan, learned from this, shame Rashayim Yirkav, the name of wicked people should rot. And that's a posset from Mishle. And then Rashi's going on to explain Ra'im, Vachataim, Lahashem, Ma'od, and we'll come back to that. Now, what is this posset in Mishle? The posset in Mishle says the name of wicked people will rot. In other words, uh, if you're a bad person, your reputation, your renown will stink, will be bad. But that's not actually how Chazal understand it. Chazal understand Shem Rashaim Yirkav as if somebody is bad, when you mention their name, you should mention the bad things that they've done. Um, it's the opposite. It's the, it's the uh, mirror image of when you mention a tzaddik, you praise him. As Rashi says at the beginning of Parshat Noach, um, that's why at the beginning of Parshat Noach in Perak Vav, Pasuk Tet, Eilat Noach, Noach ish tzaddik. And Rashi says there, that's based on the Pasuk in Mishle, Zechad tzaddik livracha. When you mention a tzaddik, you bless him. And that's why it says after the name Noach, Noach ish tzaddik. Noach was a righteous man. So here, the other half of the, um, I think it's the same Pasuk, um, Mishle Yud Zion, and Shem Yushayim Yirkav is Mishle, yeah, the same, other half of the same Pasuk, says you do the same. In reverse, when you have a mention of bad person, you talk about their bad deeds. So we've mentioned Saddam, so we mentioned that the people of Saddam were very bad. Now, the problem with this is, is twofold. First of all, how can you learn from this a Posik in Mishle? A Posik in Mishle stands by itself. So it doesn't, it, it's a little bit curious, Rashi says, from this description in Pasha Bereshit, Chazal learned Shem Yashayim Yirakav. That's a Pasik in Mishle. How can you say they learned from this, the Pasik in Mishle? The Pasik in Mishle was there all along. The answer is that they learned what the Pasik in Mishle means. The Pasik in Mishle says the name of wicked people will rot. That means when you mention a wicked person, you describe their wicked deeds. 
So they learned what Shem Yashayim Yakab means in a practical sense. However, that creates another problem because Rashi has already said we've got a particular reason for mentioning the wickedness of Saddam. And the reason the Rashi gave was to tell you, even though they were wicked, Lot did not refrain from dwelling with them. So if we needed to know about their wickedness in order to understand something about Lot, how can we then be learning shame, Rashaim Yirkav, that you've got a special obligation to mention the wickedness of people if they are wicked people? You can say that in this particular case, we don't have a special need to mention them just because they're wicked. We're mentioning the wickedness because we need to understand about Lot. So the answer to that might be, aye, but do we need to give so much detail about their wickedness? If we just wanted to know that they were wicked and even then Lot didn't refrain from dwelling with them, we could have just said, Anshe Saddam Ra'im. The people of Saddam were bad. But we don't just say that. We say, Ra'im v'chata'im Hashem ma'od. They were wicked, they were sinful to Hashem a lot. So maybe Rashi's saying that in order to understand about Lot, we need to know they were bad. Aye. But why does the Torah go on and say just how bad they were? Maybe that is Shem Roshayim Yirkav. That is what Chazal learnt um, from this Pasuk in Mishlei. So now, having said that, let's go on to say, what is Ra'im v'chata'im Hashem ma'od? So we've said, but this seems to be extra words. If we just want to say they're bad, we can just say they're bad. Or put another way, what is the difference between Ra'im and Chata'im? We know there must be a difference because otherwise the Torah wouldn't have used both words. So Rashi, and this is a typical approach of Rashi, comes along and says, I'll tell you why you need two words. Because there is a nuance, there is a difference between them. And Rashi says, Ra'im begufam, v'chata'im b'mamonam. They were wicked, Ra'im, with their body, in other words, in a physical way. And they were chata'im, and they were sinners, b'mamonon, with their property. Why does Rashi say that? Well, it may be, because if you look in Bereshit, Perak, Lamatet, Pasaptet, we see the following. Um, and you've got Bereshit, so you should be able to turn to Lamatet, Tet, 39.9. It's the story of Yosef and the wife of Potiphar, and she tries to seduce him, and he says, in there's nobody more important in the house than me. And my master Potiphar has not held anything back from me except you. And how can I do this great ra'a? So that is a sin of a physical nature, of a sexual nature, and that's described as ra'im. As a as a ra, so maybe that's why Rashi says if we got raim and chataim and we have to distinguish between them, raim is an example is is as we can see from that example something you do with your body. What about chataim? Now, if you've got a entire chumish, you can turn to the varim perek tet vav pasuk tet, 
Devarim Perik Tetvav Pasuk Tet. And it says there um, about not being mean to people. Um, your high eye should be with your poor brothers. And if you don't give them money when they need money, if you don't give your poor brother, your poor relative money, he will call against you to Hashem. And there will be against you or counted against you a hate, a sin. So I haven't checked, to be honest, if there are any other uses of hate in the Torah. Obviously there are. Or ra in the Torah. Obviously there are. But the Mephoshim point to those two examples as where you see Ra referred to as a sin committed physically and hate as a sin committed monetarily. So maybe that's why Rashi says, who's forced to explain the difference between the two, because the Torah uses the two words, uses those sources to explain that Ra means begufam, the Chata'im means Bemamonam. Then Rashi continues with the words La Hashem Ma'od. So these people in Saddam, they were really, really bad. They weren't just wicked and simple. They were wicked and simple to Hashem a lot. Says Rashi, Yodim Rabbonam, they knew their master, Umit Kavanim Limrod Bo, and they deliberately intended to rebel against him. In other words, what's the difference between being sinful? and sinful to Hashem. Now, Hashem doesn't want any of us to be sinners. Hashem has given us uh, mitzvot. He gave the non-Jews mitzvot as well. So if they are sinning, they're obviously sinning against Hashem. So why does it say they were wicked against Hashem? I, says Rashi, the answer is because they were rebelling against Hashem deliberately. They weren't just sinful. They knew who Hashem was. Yodim ribonam. They knew their master. And that is what it means. They were sinful to Hashem a lot. I think to Hashem means they knew who Hashem was. And Mo'od is mitkavanim limrod bo. They intended to rebel against him. And rebelling against Hashem is pretty much the worst thing you can do. And I think that's what Rashi means by, what Rashi understands by Mo'od. So the Hashem is they knew who Hashem was. Mo'od, they wanted to rebel against him. That is the end of Lot for the time being. He will reappear in the story, but not yet. So now the focus goes back to Abraham. And clearly, Hashem, sorry, the, the Torah is, is telling us the focus goes back to Abraham with the next words. The Hashem Amar El Avram, and Hashem said to Avram, Acharei he pared Lot me'imo, after Lot separated from him. And what did Hashem say? Sa na enecha, lift up your eyes, ura'ei, and see, min hamakom asher ata sham, from the place where you are there. Safona the negba the kedma the yama, north and south and east and west. And then he goes on to say, and wherever you see, I'm going to give this land to you. But why does the Torah say, Acharei he parade Lot after Lot separated. And this is the question that Rashi is going to answer. And the question is obvious. Normally, if event A follows, is listed as following, sorry, event B is listed as following event A, then it's likely that event B happens immediately after event A. Now, I know 
Ein Mugdam Umocha Torah. Rashi is the one who says there's no chronological order in the Torah. And sometimes it doesn't work like that, that event A is written before event B, doesn't mean event A happened before event B. But nevertheless, if one Pasuk follows another, then it's likely that the event in the second Pasuk took place after the event in the first Pasuk. Yet here, the Torah has to stress that that's how it's working. That now Hashem appears to Abraham after he had separated from Lot. So the question for Rashi is obvious. Why does it have to say, Acharei Hippared Lot? And Rashi answers, Kol zaman shaharasha imo haya hadibor poresh mimenu. It's quite a harsh thing. In fact, it's a very harsh thing to say about Lot. And I tell you, and I've said many times, that Rashi has been leading up to how bad Lot is. Now he calls him a Russia. And the reason the Torah says that Hashem appeared to Abraham Acharei Hippared Lot after Lot separated is to tell you that Hashem did not speak to Lot, Hashem did not speak to Abraham until Lot had separated from him. Because while Abraham was in the company of this Russia, then the word of Hashem separated from him. Now, any questions on that? Any questions on that? Yes, there should be a question on that. Because in Perak Yud Bet, Hashem appeared to Abraham. Um, when he arrived in Eretz Israel, in Yud Bet Zion, Vayera Hashem El Avram, Hashem appeared to Abraham, and he said, I will to your descendants, I will give this land. And whom was Abraham with at that time? None other than Lot. How do I know that? Because in Pasuk Dalet, just a few Pasukim earlier, Vayelech Abraham elav Hashem, Vayelech ito Lot. Lot went with him. So in Perak Yudbet, Pasuk Zion, Hashem appears to Abraham while Abraham is in the company of Lot. Yet in Perak Yud Gimel, Pasuk Yud Dalad, Rashi says that Hashem did not speak to Abraham while Lot was with him. How can we reconcile this? So the answer given by many is, the, is an easy answer to say that at that time when Hashem appeared to Abraham the first time, Lot was an okay guy. As the Mizrahi puts it, he was kasha, he was fit at that time, using language that Rashi says himself about the Miraglim, but that's another story. So the simple answer is that Lot changed. He was a good guy and he became a bad guy. When he was good, there wasn't an issue with Hashem appearing to Abraham. And it just occurs to me now, maybe that's why Rashi here says that Hashem's problem was not that he was with Lot, but Hashem's problem was that Abraham was with that Russia. So when he was Lot, not a Russia, that wasn't a problem. When he was Lot, who was a Russia, that was the problem. Now, we can also ask, following this analysis, when did he become a Russia? And the answer seems to be there was some traumatic episode in the life of Lot where he changed from being not a Russia to being a Russia. What was that episode? Obviously, it was the descent into Mitzrayim. Uh, and I think I mentioned, and this isn't Rashi, this is actually Nechambalevavitz, 
when they return from Mitzrayim, in Peruk Yud Gimel, Pasuk Aleph, Vayal Avram in Mitzrayim, Hu ishto v'chol asher lo v'lot imo. The, um, Avraham, the, the procession was Avraham and his wife and all their stuff, and then Lot. Lot was fourth in line after the property. So either you can say that there's a distance um, building up between Lot and Avraham, which wasn't there originally, or more precisely, what is that distance? It's the property. Lot now has his eye on the property that they came out from Egypt with, and everything goes downhill from then. Incidentally, the Maharal has a slightly, uh, I'm going to say non-rational, but I try to avoid that, but um, slightly, um, all right, slightly non-rational, um, answer to this question. And he says that when Lot became rich in Mitzrayim, he became an independent person. Before he became rich, he was just subsidiary, secondary, dependent to, on Abraham. And he didn't count. And therefore, Hashem can appear to Avraham because Lot doesn't count as an independent entity. When Lot has got sustenance, when Lot has got his own means of support, he becomes an independent entity. And then Hashem notices, as it were, that there's not just Avraham there, there's Avraham and this independent Lot, and then Hashem doesn't want to be with him. Before they went to Egypt, Lot didn't count, says the Maharal, because he didn't have means to support himself. Interesting idea. So, what does Hashem say? Hashem says, look in all four directions, and he says in Pasuk Tetvav, Ki et kol ha'aretz asher atara'er, all the land which you see, lacha et nenu, to you I will give it, ulaza'aracha, and to your descendants, ad olam, forever. That's good, it's good for us, because we are his descendants, and we know that the land belongs to us forever. Rashi has nothing to say. So we'll go on to Pasuk Tet Zion. The Samti et Zaracha, and I will put your seed, ka'afar ha'aretz, like the dust of the earth, asher, which, now I'm going to give a little bit of a spoiler. This is the bit where he says, you know, just as you can't count the dust of the earth, you can't count the descendants of Abraham. But let's look carefully at the words in the Pasuk and see if that's actually what it says. So your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, a share which im yuchal ish limnot If a person is able to count the dust of the earth, gam zaracha yimane. Also, your children he will count. So the funny thing is, it's not quite how we always imagine this verse. It says. If you can count the dust of the earth, well, maybe you can, maybe you can't, but if you can, you'll be able to count the children of Abraham. So one problem with that is, well, it doesn't sound so good because if it turns out that the dust of the earth is countable, then the children of Israel will count. I'm not using countable in the strict transfinite math sense. I'm saying countable that you can actually count and reach a total. So if you can count and reach a total of how many grains of, of dust there are, then you can count and reach a total of the Bnei Israel. So it sounds like our number is limited. So Rashi says that's not what it means. Rashi says, Asher im yuchal ha'ish she'i la'afar lehimanot, just as it's impossible for the dust to be counted, kach zaracha lo yimaneh. 
so he will not count your children. In other words, what has Rashi done? So Rashi has like saved, saved the blessing from the literal interpretation, which I'm trying to make out is not such a blessing. But Rashi said, no, it is a blessing. It's a fantastic blessing because it's impossible to count the dust of the earth. Therefore, it's impossible to count the children of Abraham. We are uncountable. But the particular word I think Rashi is explaining is the word im. Because the word im normally means if. And that is a sort of neutral um, introduction. It could be. It might not be. If it's true, then it's true. If it's not true, then it's not true. Rashi is saying in this case, that's not what it means. It's im meaning if, but it can never happen. It's an if, but we know which side of the two possibilities it's going to fall on. If it's possible, but it means it's not possible. That is not the usual word use of im. But Rashi is telling you that's what im means in this case. Im as in, if it could happen, but it can't. So Rashi says explicitly what the Pasuk doesn't say, but Rashi tells us the Pasuk implies that it's impossible to count the dust of the earth. And similarly, it's impossible to count the children of Abraham. What does Hashem say that he should do? Pasuk Yud Zayin, also no Rashi, but we'll read it. Kum hitalech ba'aretz. Arise, walk in the land, which is the motto of every Israel program and the motto of every Aliyah Shaliyah, or at least it should be. It's a pretty good motto. Here it is. So walk in the land, la arka ularachbo, its length and its width, ki lacha et nenu, because to you I will give it. No rushing. Let's move on to Pasuk Yudchet. V'ye'ehal Avram, and Avram pitched his tent, same word we had before. Vayavo, and he came. Vayeshev Elonei Mamre. And he came and he dwelt in Elonei Mamre, the plains of Mamre. Asher Bechevron, which are in Hebron. Vayiven Sham Mizbeach Hashem, And he built a Mizbeach to Hashem. And Rashi has a simple comment, two words on the word Mamre. So the place is called Elonei Mamre, the plains of Mamre. Um, and yeah, uh, Rashi, I think, has made the point um, that Onkelos translates lots of different words as plains. And one of them is this one, um, right? Onkelos doesn't say for Elonei has Meshre, um, which means plain. But Rashi has made the point, and I'm sorry, I forget the reference. We saw it a couple of weeks ago. No, we saw it last week, actually, that um, it doesn't mean Elone is the translation of plain, but the plain of Mamre was called Elone, and it means the plain of Mamre, and the name was Elone. But what about this Mamre? What is Mamre? That's what Rashi says. And Rashi says on the word Mamre, Shem Adam. It's the name of a person. Now, why does Rashi have to say this? Because um, if you look in Perak Yudalad Pasuk Yud Zion, Perak Yudalad Pasuk Yud Zion, nope, sorry, yeah, no, Yud Gimel, Perak Yudalad Pasuk Yud Gimel. So we're going to get to it next week, maybe the week after. 
and we're talking about uh, the war between the four kings and the five kings and Abraham is minding his own business until he gets caught up in the war and it starts like this in Perak Yudgimel. The um, refugee came and told Avram Ha'ivri Abraham was living in the plains of Mamre. And what about Mamre? Ha'emori, the Emorite, Achi Eshkol, the brother of Eshkol, the Achi Aner, and the brother of Aner. So that Pasuk there clearly and unambiguously says it was in the plains of Mamre, and Mamre was a person. We even know who his brothers were. He is a person. However, if we look in Perak Lamad Hay Pasuk Kaf Zion, have I got this right? Perik Lamad Hay Pasuk Kaf Zion, the end of Pashat by Yishlach, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful Pasukim in the Torah, is about the return of, Yit, of Yaakov to Yitzchak. So we're two generations later after the Abraham story. That's relevant. And finally, Yitzchak, uh, sorry, Yaakov has been away for 22 years, says Rashi, plus another 14 years. And he hasn't seen his father and Lavan tried to keep him away from his father, but he finally makes it home. He finally makes it home. Yaakov came to Yitzchak Aviv, his father, Mamre, at Mamre, Kiryat Arba, in Kiryat Arba, he Hebron, and that is Hebron. What is Mamre meaning there in that Pasuk? It cannot be a person. It can't be the same person as it was in Perak Yudalat, because we're two generations later. It clearly is a place. So Mamre in Perak Yudalat is a person. And Mamre in Perak Lamad Hay is a place. In which case we want to know which one is it. Is it a person or is it a place when it's mentioned in our Pasuk in Yud Gimel Yud Chet. Now, interestingly enough, this is the subject of a dispute in the Gemara. Rashi, as he often does, by the way, is siding with one of the parties in the Gemara in answering this question. And really, since we know that Mamre is a person, we know that Mamre is a place, which came first? Is the person named after the place or the place named after the person? And we could explain, Rashi as saying, when you have a choice like that, which is more likely? Is it more likely that the place is named after the person or the person is named after the place? And the answer, says Rashi, is the place is named after the person. And that's why Rashi here says on the word Mamre, Shem Adam. It's the name of a person. So Elone Mamre means the plane that belonged to Mr. Mamre. And we know about Mr. Mamre because he appears in the next parak, and we know who his mishpacher is, who his brothers are. He's a real person. That, says Rashi, is what is meant here by Elone Mamre. Okay, we're ready to move on to Perak Yud Dalad. So Perak Yud Dalad is the story of the war between the four kings and the five kings in which Abraham gets caught up. And that's why we tell the story. And it starts like this. Pasuk Aleph. Vayhi bimei Amraphel melech Shinar. It was in the days of Amraphel, the king of Shinar, Arioch, 
Melech Elasar, and Arioch, the king of Elasar, and Kedala Omer, the Melech Elim, Kedala Omer, the king of Elim, the Tidal Melech Goyim, and Tidal, the king of Goyim. We'll come back to that word. And it was in the days of Amraphel and all the others. And what happened, oh, we'll just look at Pasuk Bet, Asu Milchama, they made war at Bera Melech Saddam, at Birsha Melech Amara, and they made war against various other kings. So Rashi says on the word Amraphel, who Nimrod Sha'amar Avraham, who said to Avraham, pull letoch kivshan ha'esh, fall into the fire of the fiery furnace. And pull, so Amar fell is he said fall. Amar fell. He said pull, he said fall. Now, the story of Abraham being thrown into the fiery furnace is, interestingly, not in the Chumash. It is, however, in Rashi, and it's found in the end of Parshat Noach, in Perakut Aleph, Pasat Kavchet. So Rashi's already told us about Nimrod and telling and Nimrod throwing Abraham into a fiery furnace. Nimrod we've already met in the Torah, because when the Torah listed the genealogy of Noah's children, um, we were told in Perak Yud um, about Perak Yud Pasuchet, we actually had quite a few psukim devoted to this particular fellow, Nimrod. Nobody else amongst our Noah's descendants got such a special mention. Um, so you might want to keep your, your finger on the page of Perak Yud Pasuchet, because we're going to come back to that in a minute. Now, why does Rashi identify Amraphel as Nimrod? Now, the first thing to say is, this is something that Rashi often does, the Midrash often does. The Midrash sort of works on the basis that the, uh, there's a small set of personalities in the Chumash, and, and Tanakh as well. And often, where there are two people, apparently, in the Chumash, the Midrash will say they're actually the same person. The Midrash tries to say where I'm not going to say wherever possible, but, but often that um, if a person is introduced, it would be good if we could match them up with somebody we've met before. So what the Midrash is doing here and what Rashi is doing here is something the Midrash often does. There's a new guy called Amraphel. He's someone we've met before with a different name. So that's the first thing to say. The second thing to say is, but why, what's the reason that Rashi would be driven to do that here? So one answer is, um, the Pasuk is saying, Vayehi Vimei, Amraphel. It was in the days of Amraphel. The Torah is giving us a chronological landmark to tell us when this event occurred. It's in the days of Amraphel. Now, we've got a problem, because if we've never heard of Amraphel before, that's not helping us very much. It was in the days of somebody you've never heard of, somebody you know nothing about, like you don't know when he lived. So if it's somebody about you don't know when he lived, then it's not very helpful if it's telling us it was in the days of Amraphel. So, so therefore, Rashi says, um, it's telling us something about who Amraphel was, because it's telling us that Amraphel was a person whom we already knew, and we know when he lived. Why Nimrod? Why do we have to say it's Nimrod? Well, there is actually a good answer to that, because we're told that Amraphel was the king of Shinar, a place called Shinar. 
And if we look at Bereshit, Perik Yud, Pasuk Yud, it tells us about Nimrod. And it says, The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, in the land of Shinar. So actually, it's a pretty good match. So Nimrod is the king of a land in Shinar. Amraphel is the king of Shinar. Doesn't take a great genius to say they are the same person. But Rashi added the, the linguistic idea of why Amraphel is Nimrod, because Amar, Paul, he said to Abraham, you will fall into the fiery furnace. Um, right. The, so we have uh, four kings in Pasuk Yudalat. Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariach, king of Elasar, Kadala Omer, Melech, uh, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goyim. Uh, Goyim, as we know, means nations. But Rashi says, Melech Goyim, Mokom Yesh, Shishamo Goyim. There is a place which its name is Goyim. So, Tidal Melech Goyim does not mean Tidal, king of nations, but it means Tidal, king of a place called Goyim. And Rashi goes on to say why this place is given the funny name Goyim. And he says, Our shame, and it's called Goyim because they're gathered there from many peoples and places. And they uh, made, they crowned a person over them as king, and his name was Tidal. So Tidal was the king of the place called Goyim. And it was called Goyim because many nations gathered there to make him king. The question is, why didn't Rashi just say the simple explanation, Tidal Melech Goyim, Tidal is the king of Goyim. He's the king of nations. And the answer perhaps, and I know I say perhaps for every time because you know, we can never be sure, but is because Rashi notices the symmetry of the verse. And this is also something that Rashi does in many places. Sometimes it's obvious, sometimes you have to look and see that's what Rashi's doing. And I, I stressed it when I read again the four kings. King Amraphel of a place. King Ariach of a place. King Kadala Omer of a place. King Tidal should also be of a place. And for the sake, if you like, of the symmetry or the pattern established in the verse, Tidal Melech Goyim must also mean that Tidal is the king of a place. What's the name of the place? Goyim. Then Rashi tells us it's a place, and then he tells us why it has that funny name. That's why it's called Goyim. Okay, so Rashi's got something to say about, well, really one of the names of the four kings, but let's look about what Rashi does with the names of the five kings. Asu, Pasuk Bet, Asu Milchama et Bera Melech Sidam. They made war with Bera, the king of Sidam. So let's go to Rashi as he goes through them one by one. Bera, Ra Lashamayim, the Ra Labriut. Evil to heaven and evil to other people. So Bera means Ra, the Ra. I'm not sure if I've got that right, but Ra certainly means evil. Ve'et Birsha Melech Amora. Birsha is the king of Amora. Says Rashi, Birsha, Shenit Aleh Berisho. He magnified, elevated himself with his wickedness. So Birsha also has the root Rasha. 
Shinav, Melech Adama. So somebody called Shinav, king of Adama, says Rashi, Shinav, Shoneh Aviv Shabashamayim. Shinav, Shoneh Av. He hated his father. His father not, didn't have an Oedipus complex. His father in heaven. Shavino Aviv Shabashamayim. So he was a rebel, a rebel against Hashem. And the next one is Bashem Ever Melach Tsovaim. Shem Ever says Rashi, Sam Ever Lauf. He put a limb to fly. So he made himself some sort of wings. Interestingly enough, um, Shem Ever begins with a shin, and Rashi darshans it as Sam Ever with a sin. But that's okay, because actually shin and sin are the same letter. We pronounce them differently, but they are really the same letter. And drushas sometimes do switch a shin for a sim. Anyway, this shem ever means sam ever la'uf. He wanted to fly, v'lik pots, and to jump, v'limrod, and to rebel, against Hashem. And the last one, u'melech bela hitzo'ar. And the king of Bela, or the king Bela, it is Tsoar. Now Rashi says Bela is Shem Ha'ir, the name of the city. We'll come back to that in a minute. But the first question is, why does Rashi darshan all these names and as negative people? Now, in the previous case, he didn't darshan them, um, the names of the four kings. Now he said Amraphel, he, he did darshan that one, and he explained why it's really Nimrod. But um, Kardal Omer and Tidal and Ariach, Rashi had nothing to say. But these four, sorry, these five, Rashi takes the names as inviting Adrasha. They're telling us something about the character of the people. And the reason that um, this is the case is probably because what happens in Pasuk Chet. If you turn over the page, or however many pages you have in your Chumashim, to Pasuk Chet, Later on in the story, we read, The king of Sodom, and the king of Amorah, and the king of Adama, and the king of Tzavayim, and the king of Bela came out. What's missing? What's missing in Pasuk Chet that was there in Pasuk Bet? The answer is the names. In Pasuk Chet, we're quite sufficient to just say it's the king of Saddam, it's the king of Amora. Now, if you don't need to name them, and we see you don't need to name them from Pasuket, why did they name them? Why did the Torah name them in Pasuket? The answer is to darshan, to expound on their names. Their names are there to tell you not just what they happen to be called, because we don't need to know that. We know we don't need to know that. Their names are there to tell us what type of people they were. Now, interesting enough, Rashi doesn't do that with the king of Bela, because according to Rashi, he's not named. Because Umelach Bela Hitzoar, you could either read that as the king called Bela, who is also Tsoar, but that would leave you without a place. So each one of them have got places and names. So the king of Bela Hitzoar is missing one. It's either a place or a name. So Rashi says, Bela, Shem Ha'ir, that's the name of the place, of the city. So Rashi reads it as Melach, the king of Bela He Tsoar. Bela, which is also known as Tsoar. Why does Rashi say that? Again, because of Pasachet. 
because in Pasuket, all the places are listed and Bella Hitzar. So, like we said before, with Tidal Melech Goyim in Pasuk Aleph, Rashi notices the symmetry. So, similarly in Pasuket, the place of Saddam and the place of Amora and the place of Adama and the place of Tzvoim is mentioned. So, therefore, Bella Hitzar must also be a place. So then Rashi back in Pasuk Bet says Belach is a place, not a name of a person. Which means the king of Bela, which is also known as Tsar, doesn't get a name and doesn't get darshaned, expounded in a negative way. But that fits. That fits because um, Yudtet Kaf Bet. In Peruk, Yudtet Kaf Bet. The story in Perak Yotet Kafet is Saddam and Amora have been destroyed because they were so wicked. And Lot is running away. And Lot says to the Malachim who are taking him, um, I'd like to escape to another place, please. And he says, now, the place that Lot wanted to go to, sorry, he talks about it in um, Pasuk Kaf. He says, Lot says to the Malach, and the place is Mitzar, and then in Pasuk Kaf Bet, Mitzar becomes Soar. And Rashi explains at some length in Pasuk Kaf what was unique about Mitzar. The answer is it was younger than Sodom and Amara. Turns out only two years younger, which is not such a big deal, but it was younger. It hadn't been populated for so long. And therefore, says Rashi in Yudtet Kaf, it wasn't so wicked. That's why it wasn't destroyed. That's why Lot wanted it to be saved so he could flee there. Sodom and Amara were 100% wicked, but Soar, because it had been settled for less time, wasn't so wicked. And now that fits in perfectly with how Rashi handles Pasuk Bet. The king of Sodom, he's Ra. The king of, 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 of uh, Amora, he's Russia. The king of uh, Adama, Sinav, hates his father in heaven. The king of Tzvoim tries to fly to heaven and fight against God. But the king of Bela, which is also Tzoa, doesn't get a name because he doesn't need to be darshaned as somebody wicked. And that fits with what Rashi says as the city of Tsar wasn't as wicked as the other places. And there is a good place to stop. So Imiet Hashem, we will meet again next week. Sorry, Sara, you have your hand up and I haven't noticed that for a while. Speak now. Uh, yeah, sorry. I was just wondering where are these dress shops from? Are they Rashi or is it Rashi quoting Rashi, Midrash, Midrash Tanhuma, to be precise, Tanhuma Perichet, um, okay. almost always is quoting Midrashim. That's not to take away from his brilliance, because his brilliance is the way he selects which Midrash to quote and where and how to quote it. But the answer is Rashi is quoting here from Tanhuma Perichet. Mm -hmm. All right, thanks. Okay, thank you for the question. And thank you all for attending. And anyone who's listening on the podcast, which is about to be released, thank you all. And Imiet Hashem, we will meet again next week, same place, 8.30, same Zoom ID. Thank you. Thank you.